All right, go. Uh, well, um, I should put this in context, but for $5,000, I'm just going to pull it out of context. If you can answer it. I'm, ass- I'm assuming this is Lazarus, uh, the, the rich fellow. This is not Lazarus. He says, for I have five brothers that he, he I'll start at 27, Luke, Luke 16. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. So my question to you is, does this mean that these people could not be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, transformed? Were they ear, you know, the pastor used to preach about a certain kind of people that could not be, I forget the word, redeemed, irredeemable. Doesn't it kind of sound like that to you? I mean, what kind of person doesn't believe something if a dead man jumps up and shouts it? That would be a compelling reason to believe him if it was a dead man that just came back to life. You know what I'm saying? Did I lose you? No, I'm here. Okay. Well, I mean, he said they don't believe the prophets. They don't believe Moses. And even if somebody rose from the dead to tell them, about this place of torment, they would not believe it. So what kind well, of people and are of course, and of course, and of course, there was someone going to come from the dead, and that would have been Christ. Huh? Well, that's a good angle I didn't think of. That, I don't know why I didn't think of it, but. So, and, and they didn't irre- believe it, irre- right? They're irredeemable people, aren't they? Yeah, they. Um, you know, it's it's kind of you know parent-child relationship again. Um, welcome to Gideon Warrior Network. Those of you that are just joining us, I see several of you have uh, logged in. Uh, Russell has opened up the door in Luke chapter 16, reading from basically uh, 25 to the end of the chapter, and uh, just throwing some some thoughts around here. And obviously, in this in this uh, uh, part of the scripture, we're we're being shown the obvious that. Um, Christ himself, who was going to raise himself from the dead, 
would be someone that they could also respect and acknowledge and therefore have a changed heart, a changed attitude, and a changed way and become a new man. But it's obvious that that they did not. And so Russell is expressing how uh, these here are being expressed by Christ as basically irredeemable. And I would say, yes, that's that's exactly correct. Uh, Because as the scripture says, they have Moses and the prophets, verse 29, let them hear them. And he said, no, no, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And Russell said, you know, why would they repent if somebody came from the dead? And that's just exactly it. Um, If they can't believe the prophets, it wouldn't matter if there were ten that came from the dead. And we also have that example when um, um, Christ raised... um, uh, the girl, um, and Christ raised, um, I'm drawing a blank on it. Somebody help me out. Well, while, while uh, you're thinking about this, I want to describe the man. He was a certain rich man and habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day. So he had, for I have five brothers, you'd have to assume that. Maybe they were rich too. Uh, it does show that he cared about the brothers, doesn't it? I guess. So I'm just piecing all this together. Uh, I did notice here where he was uh, in agony of a flame. So I don't really know. I don't really know where this could be, actually. It just says in the Luke, it it just says the rich man and Lazarus. That's all they tell us. And he just... Well, and of course... A dip dip of uh, a finger in water to cool off his tongue. So, So, you know, the kids, we all ask ourselves, where is this where is this guy in agony in this flame well that could be lots of places but when we read it I was trying to ascertain the most important point in it in this this reading we have here and the most important thing I saw was there's a great divide, and some are going to be on a comfortable side of this great divide, and some are going to be on a very uncomfortable side. And then it got into right. this. I just thought I thought this was very interesting that nothing apparently would persuade his brothers to change their lifestyle. And. Maybe there's some book that would tell us who Lazarus was. You know, some book outside of the Bible. Historical account. Um, I missed what you said. 
You said, is there some I, I other historical other record of maybe we could find out who Lazarus was. I just wonder if he was a Pharisee or a Sadducee. Because that would tell us an awful lot about his ilk. Well, yeah, and and again, they're using Lazarus because, you know, Lazarus was raised from the dead. And uh this is, you know, metaphoric or allegoric in nature, and it's it's literal in the sense that the substance or the primary teaching is literal or real. When you have this this uh, divide between those that will be burned, which the scripture says will happen to the wicked, uh, the terrors they will be gathered up and burned. And so this uh, gulf, this great gulf that is, is in this parable, if you will, um, <clears throat> the story, you know, that's what we're having conveyed to us is a story. And he is... Obviously now um, uh, expressing something that uh, he wants the people there to recognize and understand in a language and a form in which they're used to hearing and so forth. And so let's go back to 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his uh, gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abram's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, which is Sheol, the grave, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. <clears throat> Send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things, and likewise Lazarus received evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou tormented. And besides all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from thence, you cannot, neither can they pass to us, that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they come into this place of torment. Abraham says unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, My nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So um, he is conveying a, a truism. Those, those that are those that are going to repent or can receive 
the, the knowledge and the truth to come to a changed man, they're in a different state. They're in a different position, as you said. They're on the, on the other side, and there's nothing that's mm-hmm. going to be able to be done for them to transfer from one to the other the only thing that does that is this knowledge of the prophets and of Moses since they will not receive the truth even in one being raised from the dead. And that's exactly what happened in the real story of Lazarus, his friend, Christ's friend, as he's referred to in Scripture, as well as Christ himself. And so Christ is just conveying the natural fact <clears throat> that he's tried to convey to them for three years in his ministry here. At what point right here when this is exactly, I guess I'm not sure, but we'll just suffice it to say somewhere during the ministry uh, <clears throat> that he conveyed this truth, it was certainly not received and not being received, although they professed they knew the prophets, although they professed they knew Abraham, although they professed they knew the God of Abraham, although all these things they knew. And Christ said, no, no, not so. He's just relaying a story to them in uh, ways in which they should have been able to receive it and hear it, recognize it for what it is, and those with ears to hear would accept it and appreciate it, take it into consideration, and those that will not accept it, take it into consideration, and will not hear Moses and the prophet, there's no point. And this is the yeah. this is that this is that this is that God that the Christian church world today wants to throw out with the bathwater, so to speak, because uh, this is not what they expect, even though He says so Himself. You know, it also illustrates the importance of what we call the Old Testament. But exactly. Specifically, Moses and the prophets. Uh, how many times do we read those last ten prophets in the Old Testament? Not, not too often. And and yet, what do we see here that they have to offer? They have the 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 words that are written by Moses and the prophets have apparently power in their words, power enough to possibly, most likely, surely benefit a a person if they just read those things and apply it to their lives. And if you're honest with the Scripture, and if one is honest with the Scripture, Christ himself, God in the flesh, actually conveys 
something here that's really profound. He's saying Moses and the prophets have more credibility than one even having been raised from the dead. Think about that. <laughs> that is that is unbelievable, isn't it? It surely I is. Thought of that. And you know why that is, though? Because you have the sensory perception of seeing one raised from the dead, and it's almost unbelievable. In fact, it is unbelievable. However, Mm -hmm. if you are one who believes what the prophets and Moses conveyed, you have more readily received the gospel message and the truth of the Creator than having seen one who had risen from the dead. Because you believed without seeing. Am I making sense? Yes. And doesn't Jesus uh, reiterate or talk about that somewhere in the New Testament? Yeah, he does. Uh Uh-huh. And it, it gets back to that faith thing, doesn't it? It exactly does. It's it's the essence of faith. It is the essence of one who believes. Blessed are they who believe not having seen these things or heard and only heard of these things and did believe, you know. Uh-huh. So we stand here, generations removed once again, and we don't see the miracles we experience essences of miracles in our lives, in our personal uh, lives and family lives and things that we attribute to miraculous things because we don't know but by the grace of God how it would have turned out, you know, or could have turned out, you know, in a much more deleterious way. But as we... As we often do in our personal lives, we we count it regularly as as a blessing and and the divine intervention um, because of our belief and our trust in his acknowledging and knowing our needs before we ever should ask of him. Go ahead. Well, I just want to say this that. These people that could not get all this, according to this story, they're going to be tormented and in agony and not a very comfortable situation if if we apply this story universally. But, okay, so what made me think about this is people that I see uh, on the cameras on TV on the supposed opposition and I say to myself who are these creatures just take for instance everybody running for president on the other side they're not my kind of people they're not even close 
they don't see what I see. They're completely blind. They're blindsided. They said that the Ortega Castillo Madugi do whatever the three-letter lady is from New York said today we need to ban all prisons because they're uh, they come from the slavery mentality. And um, so I'm just thinking, what kind of people are these people? They're not black real people these are nutcases somebody that wants to stand up and say do away with all justice i mean i i would agree let's get rid of the prisons but now let's 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 do justice to the guys that are in there let's do biblical justice to them you know if they're shedders of innocent blood let's let's stone them if they're thieves, give them a certain amount of time to pay it back and then some. If they're rapists, let's stone them. I mean, but she didn't say that. What I'm saying is she said turn them loose. And at the same time, they want to take the guns. So that makes for a complete destruction of the country. But anyway, uh, when you hear some of these people talk, you wonder what planet they're from. You know what I mean? And it, well, it must uh, be the same kind of people that he's talking about. Well, flipping your Bibles over to flipping your Bibles over to the Book of Jude, which is right next to Revelation. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. All right there. For you what New Testamenters, we're in the book of Jude, just preceding Revelation, and we are in the first verse. Okay. And to give a context to this first verse, we have brother of James, which is a reference to Luke 6.16. We have them that are sanctified by God the Father and uh, preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So the preserved in Jesus Christ is a reference to John 17:11, John 12, uh, excuse me, John 17:11 and 12, and uh, verse 15 and 1 Peter 1:5. And I'm just giving the context here. And called, called Romans 1. Seven. All right. Um, the purpose of hitting that first verse there is to try to get into the New Testament Christian's mind that there are those that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Now, we're going to drop on down because you brought up these people you don't, you know, what are they? Um, let's drop down. Uh, verse 8. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the Archangel, 
archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withers, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. So there's an example of these uh, slanderers um, uh, those that are out here, as you say, who are these? I would never, you know, consider them on on the right side, if you will, or the side of the gulf, as we read in Luke, that they would be on. And so, once again, why would Christ want them on the other side of the gulf? And he says, mm-hmm. no. In a parabolic form, he says, no, it wouldn't matter if you sent one unto them who had risen from the grave, because he did send one unto them whom had risen from the grave, from the dead, one Christ Jesus who rose from the dead. And they did not believe, and Christ says, no, no, they've got Moses and the prophets. Let them believe them. And this, you know, scripture here in Jude is is very similar to what Peter refers to in 2 Peter 2.12. We can flip over there quick and uh, read that one. Somebody gets there before me. They can go ahead. I've got it now. Second Peter two, and uh, uh, might want to start turning. Uh, uh, let's see. Right here at eight. Um, This is actually added into the text. Um, Some of you may have in your Bible verse number 8 in parentheses, and that simply means that the transcriber added something there. Um, It is still contained in our scriptures, but it generally refers to something which was not in the original text. so it says, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished and to reserve, to reserve. Do we need to look up the word reserved? I don't think we do, but I think it's clear. I think it's clear that Peter is telling us that God knows 
how to deliver the godly out of the temptations, but to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. And that's very similar to what Christ conveyed in Luke uh, 16, was why deliver the unjust out? The Lord knows how to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished, which is, again, according to the scripture that Christ himself spoke again that said, um, now, let's see, where, where was I going to, where was my thought going on that? Uh, he says to them, he says, uh, 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 somebody help me out here. <laughs> my thoughts were racing ahead of me and I got myself out of whack. But you know the scripture where Christ says that um, he did not, uh, want them to be healed. Okay, now I'm coming back to it in my thoughts here. He says, uh, he says, uh, oh, I'm that's why they mutilate. spoke in parables. Yes, that's what, uh, there we go. Okay, there it is. Uh, now I've got the context in my head. Okay, yeah, he said he spoke in parables that those seeing might see, but those and hearing would hear, but those not seeing would not see, and those not able to hear would not hear lest he, they should be converted and he should have to heal them. And that's just not the God that the New Testament church world has taught is, is at the helm today. Go ahead. They just ignore it. Just ignore it. Well, they just, yeah. It's one of those scriptures they just ignore. It doesn't feel it doesn't uh, fit their their paradigm or their worldview. Or go ahead. Uh-huh. I just said it doesn't fit their the new narrative of love the queers mentality that Jesus loves the sin and not the sinner, or love the sinner not the sin. I mean, right. if there if 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 you love the sinner and not the sin isn't the sinner the sin I mean how do you separate them well let's the just take David for example yeah okay. let's, let's take David let's take David for example did God love David uh, seems that David had a love for God and God recognized that. David committed an egregious sin worthy of death and uh, spared David from death. Um, But we can't use it to excuse, but what we do recognize and what the scripture itself conveys is that David walked with God David had a heart after God. Even the most righteous individual before God can stumble. God is willing to pick up a stumbling and forgive a sin. But for those who will not see the sin, for those who will not acknowledge and bow the knee, 
Should he not reserve them under the day of judgment to be punished? Is it not within his prerogative to do so? That is why we work out our salvation daily. Because we know how susceptible we can become to not accepting that truth or to outright taking a decision to reject it. And at such time that that decision is made to reject, shall we not likewise be reserved under the day? It is within his prerogative to do so. Absolutely. And so much like the parent-child relationship, if you have disobedience in the home or disobedient and and it has been punished and repeatedly punished, and you make a decision to remove the leaven so as to preserve the lump, and that one will not still repent and come back to the father, to the parent, and repent and seek after his will with all his heart, then shall not the same thing that the parent made a decision to remove the leaven and reserve it unto a day of judgment, shall it not be reserved unto the day of judgment? And if the day of judgment was um, passing the blessings out amongst the 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 children and there is not a blessing for the one who was taken out and removed and that is the judgment if you will where where do we find god being somewhat different than that or how should we expect that he would you know, some might look at me just with that analogy and say, well, that's cruel that you would you would take one of your children and just decide that you're not going to, you know, pass a blessing to them or give an inheritance to that, that child who has, you know, just misbehaved. Well, why? Why should I be viewed as being un, you know, unkind or, or, uh, whatever un, you know whatever what label is is attempted to be pin, pinned on me if that's the decision that was made for the sake of the lump whether it be good or bad um in others eyes it was the right thing to do in terms of the will of the father who made that decision for the sanctity of the whole lump and so our Heavenly Father should be no different. We should see it no different. Where am I going wrong? No, I, I understand what you're saying. God did all the laws, statutes, and judgments. He... Also, he did. He spared David from death, but 
there was a hell of a price to pay for that sin. There was. Yeah, there was a price to pay. Good. And I suspect the same with Cain. Well, you know, and it's interesting how you mentioned these these liars that are all over the the news and so forth. And I had a mind to, to bring America's constitutional idolatry part ten to the to the table tonight. And uh, actually, I guess this yeah no this would be part eleven. Um, if I was to do that tonight, but it, 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 it's along the lines of what you're saying. I had a conversation with my wife tonight, and I said, you know, and Russell and I had a conversation earlier in the week, and the conversation was um, uh, I, I phoned him because I had just had the radio on for a period out of a, out of a portion of a day there last week, and there was a caller that called in to Russia's program, and the caller um, lamented essentially, and the the fact that that um, you know, uh, um, I, for, I forget exactly how he put it, but basically Russia's response to this caller was that the caller believed. That was the difference between Rush and him was that the caller believed, and what the caller believed was that apparently there was going to be some justice. And Rush, of course, did not believe that, and so he wasn't he wasn't reprimanding the individual, just just saying that that there's the difference is that I, I never believed, meaning Rush, that there would there would be justice that that would result out of this. And so I phoned Rush or Russell, and he said, "Yeah, he'd actually heard it. He said he had it on at the same time and heard and knew exactly what I was talking about." And so I asked the question. I said, "You know, here we here we are. These guys are on the radio three hours a day. Rush uh, says that he's got an audience of somewhere near 25, 26 million people. Uh, if you assume that Hannity and and Levin and and whomever else." Uh, are commanding either uh, some disparate uh, additional audience of three, five, or six, or eight million, or whatever. You could say that maybe 30, 35 million people, um, you know, are essentially uh, listening to the talkers. And for three hours a day, if not six hours a day, they're telling us every single crime that's been committed. And I said to Russell, I said, isn't it strange that not one of these people ever says this is what is to be done and is spending that three hours um, demanding whomever it is that's to be demanded of. Is it the attorney general? Is it to be demanded of the inspector general? Is it to be commanded and demanded of we the people, whatever it is, why do we not spend that three hours so that everybody knows exactly what needs to be done in order to punish the crime? But no, Russia said, no, he says, the difference between you and me, 
uh, and obviously he must have meant the rest of his listeners, uh, because we believe that justice should be executed upon the wicked. And that's the difference you should understand between him and us, is we believe that it should happen, but he does either not believe that it should happen or does not believe that it ever will happen. Well, if you're going to spend three hours on the air every day not believing that something will ever happen, I can understand why you won't spend any time telling anybody what it is they should do about it. So am I making myself clear? What I'm saying is, why are we not spending three hours and six hours a day saying, everybody, I, I, so I said to my wife tonight, it says, where do I file, can somebody on the talkers talk circuit tell me, where do I file the citizen's arrest against these evildoers? Because if nobody else from the attorney general to the inspector general to whomever general or ungeneral or lieutenant or lieutenant whomever or whatever, can somebody please tell me what it is that I need to be doing because I would rather be doing something to execute the judgment on the unjust than to sit here and say, well, I should not believe that the just should be punished. What am I missing, you guys? Um, I, if ever there was a case for interfering with an election, isn't that exactly what the opposition is doing now? With the current president? 100 years after the Constitution was adopted. Lysander Spooner wrote this, quote, the Constitution has either authorized such a government as we have had or has been powerless to prevent it. Can Can anybody disagree with that statement? No. I don't think so. Listen up. I want each and every one of you to consider those words I'm going to give it again. Okay. The Constitution has either authorized such a government as we have had or has been powerless to prevent it. 1870, 100 years after the ratification of the Constitution. And here we now sit, not at 1970, but at nearly 2020. If Lysander Spooner understood that the Constitution either authorized the government that we've had or has been powerless to prevent it, then where are we today? In the same place. All you got to do is watch TV and see where we are. So, so, one might say, well, Lysander Spooner, he was nothing more or less than a disgruntled anarchist. 
But it is at least worth considering well, the state, isn't it? Yeah, you bring up a really good point. Uh, why is it somebody filed a charge against this uh, congressman from Oakland, Mr. Schiff, for, uh, for, lying, for lying to the American people? Because remember, Absolutely. he said he had, he had plenty of evidence that Trump colluded, and he's just saving it. Well, Mr. Mr. Russell, Mr. Russell, um, let me help you out here. Let me help you out here. I need to help you out of your delusion. You see, Mr. Russell, it's like this. It's like this. You see, the reason nobody has is because nobody expects him to be held accountable in the words of Rush Limbaugh. Oh, okay. Now I get it. Okay. So, well, I'm glad to have been so observed. We have been living in anarchy ever since the Constitution was signed. It's controlled anarchy. Thomas but Paine. Want, Thomas Paine before... Go ahead, Russell. Right. Right now, when we hear the president's telephone conversation, we hear one thing, and the opposition hears a completely different thing out of the same same phone call, same words. They turn it into a crime. So it tells you right there, if the Hollywood halls of the FBI the CIA and and let's let's get real here we're talking about the deep swamp aren't we what illusion do we have those are supposed to be hallowed grounds of non-biased deep americans what what hope in hell would we have that somebody's counting the votes correctly cuz they're way down the line from the FBI I mean, they could be bought off for a lot less. And so, again, I say, this America thing is just an idea. It's not reality. There's no justice in this country. It's as lawless as it can be. If one can be unpunished for breaking the law and multitudes of the other get punished, it's a lawless, chaotic nation. Either Hillary you know, committed Russell, a crime or she didn't. And if she didn't, they need to file charges on Hannity. Hanny, whatever his name is. Because he blurbs and belches out all these evil things all these people do, ever not. You know, I think it's no accident that I think it's no accident that you brought up Luke sixteen. Because think about it, that gulf that divides us, and that's really what you started out with was lamenting, in essence, by bringing up the scripture, the gulf between us, the gulf that exists between those of us who believe in justice and those of us who apparently, Rush Limbaugh, yeah. do not believe that it 
should actually occur. Because he said that was the difference between that caller and himself. I'm not, I'm not incorrect on that, am I, Russell? No, I heard this. I actually thought about calling you when I heard it because it was such an unbelievable statement for that half-wit to make. And he, he does proclaim that he's a half-wit. Right. He's got one half his brain tied behind his back just to make it fair mm-hmm. to the rest of it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. A uh, hundred, a hundred years or so before Lysander Spooner, Thomas Paine says. Now, the reason I did America's constitutional idolatry is I had listened to a number of different. Well, I'd listened to two series. Uh, no, I'd listened to one series, and I had read a couple of different books that um, really spawned a lot of thinking in my mind. And so what I was trying to do with that series is to try to take people out of their comfort zone, if you will, a little bit, and just ask some questions about these various statements and these various quotes that we've heard over the years, and to actually try to bring them into better context and asking ourselves the question, if somebody knew that this was going to happen, then why would they have ever done what they did? That was kind of the way I tried to approach many different quotes, many different aspects of that uh, constitutional uh, series, America's Constitutional Idolatry series. So here's what Paine says. He says, quote, a thousand years hence, perhaps in less, America may be what, what Europe is now. The noblest work of human wisdom, the grand scene, the grand scene of human glory, the fair cause of freedom that rose and fell. James Madison, 1785, quote, this is now what, six years after the ratification of the Constitution. The rulers who are guilty of such an encroachment exceed the commission from which they derive their authority and are tyrants. Okay, these are tyrants because they've exceeded their authority. Can anybody tell me what the mechanism is in removing a tyrant from office because apparently they did not think this one through very good even though they gave us the ability to elect out these tyrants every two years and every six years it's not been happening continuing the people who submit to it are governed by laws made neither by themselves nor by an authority derived from them and are slaves. Now, let me read the whole thing again. Quote, the rulers who are guilty of such an encroachment exceed the commission from which they derive their authority and are tyrants. The people who submit to it are governed by laws made neither by themselves 
nor by an authority derived from them and our slaves. In other words, he's saying, when we the people submit to an authority that is ill-derived, encroached upon by these tyrants, we submitted to it not by an authority of ourselves or by something that we have asked for, they have, and we are nothing but slaves. And is that not where America is today, is a slave? You see, go ahead. Absolutely. And a slave, if he does not pay his property taxes, will be thrown out into the street. And, but relax, because the Homeless Commission said today that the only way to deal with these hundreds of thousands of homeless people is to build them a house. Who's nickel? Doug's, Russell's, and Rich. Yeah, and to which I said, who's going to buy the sheets and the bed? Who's going to pay for have the air conditioner fixed when it breaks? Who's going to pay their taxes? So it's going to have to be tax-free, isn't it? You see, you see, the reason the reason I bring these quotes out is because these are quotes that are not heard and have not been heard. This is from Hamilton. This is from Hamilton. He called impeachment, quote, the bridle in the hand of the legislator, end quote. The bridle in the hand of the legislature. Well, I guess I would have to agree with that because is not the Democratic Party now attempting to bridle? You should have heard Rush today. He said, if you want to get mad at somebody, get mad at the ones that quit the Republican Party. Because these, this Congress has the right to do whatever they want until somebody stops them. And that is the point that he made to that young man as well, is that until somebody stops them, and the only option we have to stop them, the only option we have to stop them is the election process. Now, I want to think about that for just a minute, because what options do they have to stop you, Russell, for anything that you so much as even think of doing outside of the box or the authority or the laws that they deem they have put you under. You cannot turn from the right hand to the left hand or any which way without having something 
that would come down on you. But what do we have for these wicked doers? What mechanism do we have? We have the mechanism called voting, and we now understand that voting can be manipulated, can be doctored, can be um, in, invalidated. I mean, choose your adverb. Yeah. Yeah. You're depending on the very local government that feeds off your taxes, the pillagers. They're not the but highest that, people. In the but that is, precise, that is that is yeah, that is precisely you're, you're, that. I'm sorry, Russell. Go ahead. I'm just I'm just saying you're assuming that they're going to count those votes right in national elections. Uh, maybe, but on the local ones, they can bend and tilt those numbers any way they want, and they have a guy with an AR-15 guards the door. He guards the door. I've been down there. Nobody gets into that voting room where they count but the elected officials that feed off the tax money. Well, over here you can get designated um, witnesses from both parties to go in there while they do the count and check the counts. But if well, the whole vote has been, but if the vote has been fraudulently conducted, what difference uh-huh. does it make in, in watching the count? It makes no difference. Nobody can if, tell you what software company writes the software to count the votes. If 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 you've got seven thousand people in Massachusetts that are um, uh, not allowed to vote or are dead, coming to life to vote, or any one of a number of other, huh? We get a bunch of walking dead people that vote. <laughs> you see what I mean? So it doesn't matter if you're in there to count the vote. Well, they, they, they don't they count? Just because they're dead, does that mean their vote doesn't count? Just because they're All illegal right. immigrants? Now I'm going to take you to notes on the state of Virginia, 1782. This one's probably not quite as important, um, but the the one that I have to follow All right, here's the notes in the state of Virginia, 1782. Quote, it can never be too often repeated that the time for fixing every essential right on a legal basis is while our rulers are honest and ourselves united. From the conclusion of this war, we shall be going downhill. It will not be, excuse me, it will not then be necessary to resort every moment to the people for support. They will be forgotten, therefore, and their rights disregarded. They will forget themselves, but in the sole facility of making money, and will never think 
of uniting to effect a due respect for their rights. The shackles, therefore, which shall not be knocked off at the conclusion of this war will remain on us long, will be made heavier and heavier until our rights shall revive or expire in a convulsion, end quote. Has anybody ever heard that quote out of the notes from the state of Virginia in 1782? No. No, that was a little before my time. Yeah, but see, why, why have these quotes been kept from us? Because the point is here is that we know we have been taught to believe. We have been propagandized that this Constitution was the greatest thing and it was even God-ordained. And I am here to tell you people and those that are getting the archives and listening to them is that, no, I don't believe that we can even remotely possibly say and even believe in our mind that this was any way, shape, or form God-inspired, God-ordained, because I'll tell you, I'll t- let me tell you what it was. What it was was the exact same thing I learned about on one of your tapes about Constantinople. He decided to play the Christian charge in order to control the crowd. <laughs> You're learning. That's what, that's, that's what this Constitution's all about, controlling people. Or the the top brass. You know, and old George, he never told a lie. He didn't want to be a king, did he? No. But by golly, you ever heard of anything called the Boxer Rebellion? Yep. When the farmers didn't line up like they were supposed to? Weren't they exactly. Mm, yes, they that were. One that one didn't really make the history books too often either. Was that a presidential order? Yeah, I don't, I've you never know, heard of the Boxer Rebellion. Or I don't remember it. Well, you can type that one into your Google search. And here's here's another thing. Now, I want to be clear on this. I want everybody to know this as well, because when you talk to people, it's important that you know and understand it. A lot of this information is available by looking at those who do put down the Constitution. So in other words, you'll find this in works written by professors who despise the Constitution because they do want to tear it down. But it is important that we have the full truth because the full truth is what's going to set us free. Set us free. And the full truth is what's going to bring us to an understanding of how defective we stand under this umbrella that we call the Constitution. And as we sit here today, and I have somebody who commands an audience of more than 20 million people, or so I am told, and I have that person tell me that it is apparently foolish of me to think and even to believe that someone should be held accountable 
and that they will be held accountable under a constitutional republic, then I think that person has told me everything I need to know about what's wrong with America and certainly why this constitution is nothing more than idolatry in its grandest scale. Just look up the word idolatry and see what it says. Inordinate, what is it? Go ahead. Think of this. Karl Marx said that religion was the opiate of the people. Okay, now when you think that through, I, I tend to agree with him. But what's a bigger opiate than religion? It's the vote. Because how many people say, man, it sure felt good. Sure felt good to pull that lever. They have no idea who's counting it. Not a clue. Nobody knows uh, the common people who writes the software that tallies the votes. And so I have a and so I have a question. I have a question. And the question is, if the Constitution provides us nothing, if the laws under the Constitution provide us no mechanism for holding uh, those accountable for laws broken, for crimes against the, quote, state, or we the people, then what is our resort? You see, there's another talker who talks and says, now pay attention now, I'm educating you. So pay attention now, I'm educating you. If there is nothing that this Constitution allows or provides as a mechanism for the people, don't tell me it's a convention of the states. The states have no power. The states' power was stripped from them by signing the Constitution. And the states who knew this and understood this stood up, and one little state called Rhode Island stood up until the big bully in the playground said, here, let me just quote it for you, because that is um, uh, let's see. I was looking for, and I probably failed to write it down in my notes here. What I was looking for was Rhode Island. Congress, Congress adopted a stat, um, um, one of the first acts of Congress was to basically treat Rhode Island as a foreign entity. And I don't see it here in my notes. Where did I write that? I, I'm sure I wrote that down. Wait a so minute. Anyhow. Wait a minute. Zoom up to the present day. They told Rhode Island if they didn't get with it, they couldn't have the Super Bowl there. 
that's well, what you're that's what they did to Arizona when they wouldn't do Martin Luther King Day. Uh, they said, yeah, well, well, and what, what yeah, what they did, um, the essence of it, uh, the essence of it was that they they basically treated them as a foreign power and and said, you know, uh, the re- since the rest of us have ratified, we will not do trade. So it was it was in essence an economic you know, uh, situation against Rhode Island. And it, and it left him in a, in a very, you know, uh, difficult state. And uh, a couple of weeks later, they finally, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, they finally ratified it. I believe I referred to it in my uh, Constitutional Idolatry series. I don't know which tape it was in, <clears throat> but I was just trying to pull some things from my previous notes and some things I gathered here in the last week. So anyhow, I apologize for that. But that is the basic context of what happened, is Rhode Island was the last to, to sign on to it. And, and, and they gave all of the right reasons. I mean, they, they gave all of the – in fact, I know I have this. Um, I have a see. question on that when you're, when you're done. Uh, go ahead. Uh, well, after the Constitution was ratified, uh, several other states eventually joined. And I'm curious if you think that uh, when those states kind of, uh, well, some of them were bought up, right? Some states were bought up. Uh, and cre- and they're all, they're, the 50 were created. So when they were each added uh, to the United States, were they added based on the original intent of the Constitution or what it had become at that time that they were added? Did they they sell themselves out? Did they volunteer basically to join this crooked situation? Hold on. There was no clause in our Constitution to annex a foreign sovereign country. They just did it. Okay. When they All did right. it, thousands of acres of land, millions of acres of land. All right, so your question is kind of twofold because um, we're essentially talking about the first 13, and I think you're, in essence, asking the question relating to the other, <coughs> the other 37, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, okay. And I guess I went I went a long time, uh, kind of thinking that well, if this if this stuff is all all crooked and all fifty states, you know, and I knew that they, that there were only thirteen that that signed it, uh, but I still went several years just kind of imagining for one reason or another that they all signed on to this thing. They're all they were all done wrong basically. But I'm curious how many of them were actually sort of, I don't, I'm not sure how to say it. Uh, they came in willingly the, after the 13, the other, and, and that's obviously not the case with uh, Texas, et cetera, but um, some of them came in willingly probably. 
Well, exactly, exactly. And, and yes, the answer to your question, um, I don't have the historical background for each of those states to tell you what happened with each of those successive uh, states. But as it pertains to the 13, <clears throat> I can unequivocally tell you that nearly all of them knew that this, in essence, sounded a death knell to the states, but they were promised through the propaganda machine of the Federalist Papers, <coughs> they were promised through that propaganda machine how this whole thing was supposed to work and how these checks and balances were designed to function. <coughs> so again, I'm speaking only of the 13, and I can unequivocally say that it was a very close margin. In my series, I gave the vote tallies of several of those. Um, some of them were only separated by one vote. So this was purely economic in nature as well because, <clears throat> you see, there was going to be economic advantage to this, and every state that didn't do it is just like every state today. When the federal government says, you enact this new thing within the states, <clears throat> if you don't, we're going to withhold federal funds from you. So that is, in essence, what many of the states saw with that power to tax that was there, even though the Federalists tried to convey to them, no, 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 wait a minute. There's only two taxing authorities, excise and apportionment, and you're going to get your bill. Every state's going to get their bill. And I've asked last week, I think, has anybody ever seen their state get a bill from the federal government, their portion, which is the apportionment clause of the taxation? You see, because if they got that bill from the federal government and the state of Wisconsin says, you are going to bill us $4 billion, the state of Wisconsin, and we've only got 4 million people here, there's no way we can sign on to your propositions that you're going to do for the country, blah, 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 <clears throat> and straddle our people with four billions of dollars divided up by four millions of people. You, you know see, what so... Dawned on me, yeah? It just dawned on me that, that all this thing was at this constitutional hall was just another Jekyll Island, wasn't it, with a different name? Oh, exactly right. Exactly right. A bunch of, uh, in fact, there was 55 conventioners, 34 of them were lawyers. And when Jefferson, as I put in the Constitutional Series, when Jefferson proposed that they open this meeting in prayer, four preachers who were in the conventioners, or so to speak, preachers, didn't even have the decency to open with prayer because there was no money. So in other words, Russell, Isaac, uh, Rich, Jeremiah, uh, Jordan, you know, if there's not somebody receiving some money in order to give a benediction or a prayer, then we just can't have prayer. So, boy, 
All I can say is you better make sure that you go to the church house with some money in your pocket so somebody will pray. Mm-hmm. You following me? That's what happened in the Constitutional Convention when, and it was, and it was never, it was never brought to a vote within the Constitutional Convention. Jefferson's proposal, or excuse me, Franklin's proposal, wasn't even brought to a vote. I want you to think about that, and think about that in terms of this God-inspired divine document. We have been fed a crock, and I bought it. I bought it. I told many of you guys the story of my American history class. I went into that American history class. I wanted to know these framers. I wanted to understand them. I wanted to know every intimate detail. And instead, my American history teacher slapped a U.S. News and World Report on the desk and said this was 85% of the course curriculum. And I sheepishly raised my hand, and I said, sir, I thought this was American history. I thought we were going to hear, learn about our founding. I thought we were going to learn about the men that inspired you know, this document, the Constitution. I, I did say that, you guys, literally. I'm not just feeding you a, a story. So there was something already in me way back then that I had something in me that, that I was being led by the Spirit to learn about this. I wanted to know these things so that I could be like them. And I never got more than a D in that class. I told the story that one day I came home with the report card and I had to show that to my father. And I can't tell you how, uh, you know, uh, how hard it is for a, a child 16 years of age, you know, to come to their father and, and show them this, this D on their report card. You know, because back in those days, it, it meant something, you know, because supposedly you were supposed to be going there to learn something. If you came home with a D, you obviously weren't learning anything. And um, so anyhow, yeah, so anyhow, the bottom line was I explained to my dad and I gave him the paper that I had written and, of course, uh, you know, I didn't write it the way the teacher wanted it, and he gave me a D on the paper. And, and I, I showed it to my dad, and my dad dismissed me and told me to go to bed. <laughs> and um, he never spoke about that class again, and he never spoke about the grade, and I never got more than a D. He gave me a D-plus in my final uh, semester, a D-plus. I got was a, a D. That- that was the night your daddy realized what a problem he had. Uh, well, that's the night my dad realized exactly the problem that he had, was that he had sent seven children off to an indoctrination camp, and the final son was in the indoctrination uh, assemblage, and the question was, was he going to be indoctrinated or was he not? And, he and that really... Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, so it is. A- anyhow, okay. I found my Rhode Island thing. Okay, <clears throat> uh, Rhode Island proposed three amendments 
to the Constitution be, that, that they asked to be added before they would join. One, here's, here's the first one. It was, it was the third one. I'm not going to give them all to you. This was the third one, it, and it said, quote, the powers of government may be reassumed by the people whensoever it shall become necessary to their happiness that the rights of the states respectively to nominate and appoint all state officers and every other power, jurisdiction, and right, which is not by the said Constitution, clearly delegated to the Congress of the United States or to the departments of government thereof, remain to the people of the several states or their respective state governments to whom they may have granted the same. So did you follow that amendment? They basically wanted an assurance, an amendment in there that said, at whatever time we deem it necessary, we as a state reserve the right to re-exercise and assume all the rights that we as a state have and the people within our state. <laughs> and that was not going to happen. The next one is six, the, the Sixth Amendment that they had, and it said, and no aid, charge, tax, or fee can be set, rated, or levied upon the people without their own, meaning their individual consent upon, or that their representatives having been duly elected, nor can they be bound by any law to which they have not assented for the public good. Well, how could we possibly have those two provisions alone in this new document because that would take the power away from the federal government? So we have exactly what they were intending. Now, let me just quickly follow up with a couple of quick fire uh, um, quotes here. Here is a letter in the Federal Farmer of 1787. It was one of those that was trying to educate the people. It was trying to educate the people about the sham that was about to be perpetrated on them. Quote, the conduct of the several legislatures touching paper money and tender laws has prepared many honest men for changes in government, which otherwise they would not have thought of, when by the evils on the one hand and by the secret instigations of artful men on the other, the minds of men were become sufficiently uneasy, a bold step was taken, which is usually followed by a revolt or a civil war a general convention for mere commercial purposes was moved for. The authors of this measure saw that the people's attention was turned solely to the amendment of the federal system and that had total change been, and that had a total change been started. Probably no state would have appointed members to the convention. The idea of destroying ultimately the state government and forming one consolidated system could not have been admitted. A convention, therefore, merely vesting in Congress power to regulate trade was proposed. Still, not a word was said about destroying the old Constitution and making a new one. What he meant by the old Constitution, or they meant, <clears throat> was the Articles of Confederation. The states still usurped 
unsuspecting and not aware they were passing the Rubicon. I know that's hard to follow, but just play it back sometime. And this is from essay number 11, January 1788. These essays were provided as a contrast to the Federalists. And this is what essay 11, January 17, in part said, quote, people were lulled into a false confidence, into an implicit reliance upon the wisdom and patriotism of the convention And when ambition has succeeded to usher forth the new system of government with apparent unanimity of consent, the public delusion was complete. Did you catch that one? Repeat it. I will. Essay number 11, January 1788, quote, People were lulled into a false confidence into an implicit reliance upon the wisdom and patriotism of the convention. And when ambition had succeeded to usher forth the new system of government with an apparent unanimity of consent, the public delusion was complete. You see, what he was saying there is they were lulled into this confidence into these these people of wisdom and the patriotism of the entire convention. And when it had succeeded in bringing forth and ushering this new system of government with, with apparent unanimity, and this is the key phrase, Because what I have learned in my constitutional idolatry series is there most certainly was not unanimity. Unanimity means unity. In fact, there was very little unanimity. The only unanimity was amongst those who pushed this Constitution. Wait a minute. Among those that stood something to gain from it financially. That plus, plus he says, with the apparent unanimity of consent of the public. In other words, look, the public wants this. The public desires this. We need this to have a standard of currency. Remember, the other quote was about having a standard of currency. That was the whole quote-unquote purpose for the convention, was to Uh have a standard of currency. And instead what came out of it, instead what came out of it was not a standard of currency, per se, but an entirely new document, which has gotten us exactly where we are today. Well, should I quit here? Well, nothing's changed, Doug. When they want no. to pass a billion-dollar bond on one of the cities here, uh, the machine goes to work. And people buy it hook, line, and sinker. And anybody that dare come out against it is not a progressive. They're a loser. Let me give you... Go ahead. Yeah, uh, 
Now let me give you another one here because this one will hit Rich's, uh, Rich's corridor. 1785, Massachusetts, in refusing to introduce a resolution for a convention, in other words, they refused to introduce a resolution in their own state Congress to introduce a resolution for a convention, you see, because that was what was supposed to happen. You see, the states would get together, they'd make a resolution in Massachusetts, in Connecticut, in Rhode Island, in New York. They would get with their state legislatures and they would say, we need a convention. Well, this is what they said in refusing to introduce a resolution for a convention. Quote, more power in Congress has been the cry from all quarters, but especially those whose views not being confined to a government that will best promote the happiness of the people are extended to one that will offer lucrative employments, civil and military. Such a government is an aristocracy, which would require a standing army and a numerous train of pensioners. I had to look that pensioners up. I mean, I had a belief that I might know what it means, but only in today's you know, modern terminology. Well, pensioner in 1828 dictionary was one who receives an annual allowance for services. So no new revolution, revelation there. But wait a minute. Is it a new revelation? <clears throat> because he says, they say, and a numerous train of pensioners to prop up and support its exalted administration, end quote. Can anybody say deep state? Uh-huh. Absolutely. They're on the government teat. That's exactly right. And they knew that this was what was going to happen. And this is exactly where we're at. And so the question is, the question is, what do we do? Because the only answer to that question is, and nobody wants to say it, and nobody wants to hear it, but the president had the audacity to tweet it out, civil war. And you know what happens in a civil war? You see, one-third of the people in colonial days were the king's men sent over here by the king. One-third of them were the ne'er-do-wells that the king didn't want over there. And the other third was trying to support the other two-thirds. And so here we are in America. 25 to 30 to 35 million people, let's just say, apparently know something's wrong listening to the talk show pundits and so forth? Okay. Well, 35 million is one-tenth of 350. And you see, so one-third of the people here is going to be required to put down the other two-thirds. And that's the very thing you see in the biblical record constantly. Rooting out those who will not bow their knee to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, to the Creator of all, and submit to His will, to His laws, statutes, and judgments. And the judgments primarily 
being executed. And there, you tell me, is it a convention of the states? In my series, I ended up saying maybe I will tackle that. Well, you know what? I think it's a big old waste of time. I think it's a big old waste of time because there's not one thing, as I said in that, I alluded in that series, I said there's not one. I read the book. I read the book. And the book doesn't say one thing about this unlawful money system. doesn't say one thing about it at all. Well, what can you expect from one who follows Judaism? So, no, I'm not going to waste my time on it. But I will do more in bringing out more of these quotes from time to time just so that we have something to continue to share with people to get their heads out of the clouds and prepare them for the only option that is available. And as I said, the president at least had the audacity to tweet it out. Nobody likes the idea of it. Nobody likes to say it, but I guarantee you, folks, unless we can come to a peaceful term to undo this thing that has been shackled around our ankles, as these men well knew was about to happen, and we became slaves, unless we're willing and have an, an option available for us to do something, it will actually have to come down to and result in. And I don't like the idea that my children's children will have to beat back the wicked because we allowed it to continue to the point that it required their blood be shed instead of our own. And I dare say, I dare say, I don't know how I can go to my God and say, I am holy, I am clean, I am washed, because I feel dirty and filthy and unclean. I agree. I'll start it out since I'm not very long-winded, Father. This country's in a mess, and we have to look at it. We have to look at ourselves first yes, and foremost. The one, the ones that call themselves yours. Pray for courage, pray for strength and wisdom and guidance. And when you guide us, you've got to have courage to, to do the right thing. And justice and kindness is is the way you want it done. So please be with us as we march forward tomorrow into this world. 
Let us share truth with other people as much as we can and realize that some people do not care and they are the adversaries. Lord, let us not get depressed over the adversaries. Let us be encouraged that you're our God and you're you're fair. You're not a liar. And we thank you. We thank you for being not a liar. For giving us promises we can go to the bank on. We know how you work. You're amazing. I say hallelujah to the highest, the most high. That's where my praise goes. Talk to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our hope and our Savior. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Lord God, we come against the evildoers. Oh, yes, Father. Sons of Satan, we bind them in the name of Jesus and bring them before your throne. Let their wives be widows, their children be orphans. Let them beg in the street and be no more in this generation. Let them get what they richly deserve, Heavenly Father, for destroying your home. Yes. Your land, in Jesus' name, we find them and loose them. Jesus' name, amen. Heavenly Father, forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us for not seeing, for not understanding, for not opening our eyes to this destruction that was about us. Thank you, Father, for opening our eyes to see that we've been living in idolatry. We have raised we have raised ourselves above you. We have raised we have allowed others to raise themselves our fathers or forefathers to raise themselves up above you. Took away took away the laws, statutes and judgments that were in existence in this land for 300 years. And they just took them away in one fell swoop. Just took them away. Sold us a bill of goods and propagandized our forefathers before us. Oh, some of them were not deceived, Father. Some of them knew. And Father, they once again were powerless. For whatever reasons, they felt powerless. They had just fought a war. They had just shed their own sons and their own families and their homes and their livelihood, burn it to the ground, all sorts of things. They were spent. They were spent while they traded in your law and your word for a mess of pottage. And they gave it to us and they spoon-fed it to us and told us it was divinely inspired and the greatest thing ever conceived by the minds of men. And they continued that propaganda for more than 200 years. And I thank you, Father, 
I pray that these things will, these messages will continue to go out and people's eyes will be opened, their ears will be unstopped, and they will be attentive to your word and to your will and to your voice. And I say, the Lord rebuke them. The Lord rebuke them. Amen. Father, if there be any way, there be any way that we do not place these shackles upon the next generation, I pray for the wisdom and guidance to know what it is that I am to do. I ask these things in the blessed holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for him. I thank you for giving of yourself, your only begotten son, that we would be redeemed and called unto you. Father, hear our prayers. We ask it. We count on it. We trust in it. Your action and your rebuke upon the wicked. Amen. 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 Good night, everybody. Good night, Good night everyone. Good night. Good night, Isaac. Good night, Jordan. Thanks for joining.